0: You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Excited to be worshiping with you. I hope you're excited to be uh, in the Word this morning. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter two, Colossians chapter two, we're going to be continuing in our series. Come behold the wondrous mystery. As Richard pointed out, it's our theme for this Advent season, and I'm excited about that theme because uh, oftentimes what we get handed and what we talk about and hear about so much at Christmas is, and rightly so, is the incarnation. We hear about the baby Jesus, the man who, the God who became man in this little baby Jesus that we see and we adore and we're so in awe of. But if we stay there, as Tyler pointed out last week in his sermon, that if we only get to the manger and we don't get to the cross, then the manger really means nothing. And so the cross had to happen. The cross is the crux uh, of the matter. It has to be central. And so, as we have been walking through, uh, we've, we've kind of aligned our sermons through the text of Scripture to line up with the different verses of this song. Hopefully, you're enjoying the song. Uh, I think it's a great kind of newer hymn of the ages for us. Um, This is the week where we not only started with the incarnation, we talked last week about Christ being our obedience, becoming our justification, and now we're talking about Christ, our victor, who defeated death and Satan and and hell and sin for us. And we're going to look at Christ, our valiant warrior, Christ, our victor. Uh, Colossians 2 is a great place to look for that. Uh, You may be asking yourself, though, why aren't we talking about this at Christmas, right? Why don't we we do that at Christmas? Why not talk more about the baby and go more through the story of Christmas? And to be honest with you, uh, we could have done exactly that. But I want our faith family, as we get closer and closer to time spent with family, whether it be in person or over FaceTime, I want it to be a time where we are just led in our hearts to worship so that when we gather, Jesus will be coming off our lips, not only in the manger, but also on the cross and in his resurrection. I look forward to this week and into our final installment of it on uh, the 24th as we gather again for those short few minutes. I hope you'll be there as well. Uh, Let me also say this before we get any further that if if you saw it in our advertisements that we have our, our announcements, But please make sure that if you haven't already considered it, that you prayerfully consider giving to Lottie Moon. Our Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes directly to the field, the missionaries around the world for the International Mission Board. And if you haven't already done that, we have a place for you to drop offerings in on the wall here and over here by the door on the way out. We also would love it if you want to give online for that, just to note what it's for. And if you haven't made your gift out to the IMB yet and you would like to consider that, please prayerfully do so. Uh, We want to see the gospel go around the world. Uh, so please think about that as well. Let me pray for us, then we'll begin in our time together in the word. Father, we need you. I need you, Lord. We need your grace, your mercy, your kindness toward us through your spirit, in your son, by your word, that we would be changed to look more like Jesus, that we would be shaped more into his image, that you would be glorified in our lives and what we say, what we do, and what we don't do or say, and that, Lord, through it all, your son Jesus would be made much of, and others would see how glorious and wonderful He is, and want Him as we do. Lord, we love You. We thank You for what You've done for us in Jesus. We ask all of this in His name. Amen. Colossians chapter two. We're going to be mainly in verses thirteen through fifteen, but I want to give the context of this. We're going to walk through verse eight through verse fifteen as we open up, and spend most of our time in verses thirteen through fifteen. Are you ready? Good, good. A few of you are. The rest of you will catch up in a moment. We'll be excited together. Here we go. Verse 8. See to it, Paul says, to the Christians at Colossae, the church at Colossae, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul's right there. This is exactly why we need this series, this topic, this Passage of Scripture at Christmas time. What other time do we feel like we're most aware of those trying to take us captive by their philosophy, their empty deceit, by the human traditions that take our minds off of Christ? Traditions are not bad. In fact, many of our traditions, I encourage people to start Christmas traditions in their home if they don't have them already and to center those around Jesus. And if we don't point everything to Jesus in the end, we've missed the point of Christmas. Uh, We just did a little ride-through over here by 759, uh, where it begins at the campground last night with my kids in the car. And I love how at the end of that, every year, it's just replete with Jesus is the reason for the season. And uh, it's over and over again in that place. And uh, here's the thing for us. So quickly, you say a word, your phone picks it up, and it has it on Facebook in an ad. You are around people, you're listening to things, you're watching movies, and everything brings your mind to Christmas, 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 but a lot of it is without Christ. Here he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Those elemental spirits of the world, he's going to refer to them in a few minutes again. That's the enemy, and that's the ones who would love to get us off task and to get us totally caught up on things that are Christmas but aren't Jesus. So let that not happen. See to it, that's a command that no one takes us captive in those ways. Verse 9, for in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. There's the incarnation, fully God become fully man. Verse 10, and you, talking to the Christians, those who have put their faith and hope in Jesus, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Right there you see everything. The incarnation, God, fully God becoming fully man, the Son, And then you see right behind that, the circumcision made by Christ of the heart, not the one made by hands. talking about how you're being made into the image of Christ, being sanctified, redeemed. And then we see how you were dead and died with him in your baptism and were raised to new life and resurrection power of Christ. This is the gospel. That is the Christmas story. That Christ is our victor and has secured all these things. And now we see in verse 13, And you, who were dead in your trespasses That is good news, brothers and sisters. And I want us to unpack that as our time continues on together. Let's just look at that verse 13 for a second. We're going to spend our time verses 13, 14, and 15 just for time's sake. It's all a part of the context here. Verse 13, Paul is making really sure that we get a couple of truths that change everything for us. Part of the reason why we miss the mark on making much of God everywhere we go all the time is we forget What we've been forgiven of. We forget the depth of our sinfulness and how God has overcome that in Jesus. So Paul reminds us in verse 13, and you, talking to the Christians, that's us, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. First thing, you were dead in your trespasses. Let's be reminded, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Dead people cannot understand life things. Okay? Now, he's not talking about being dead uh, intellectually, being dead like morally, because we we do try to make good choices and do right things. He's not talking about being dead just in your thoughts, because you're thinking, even if you're not a believer, you're thinking right now. He's not talking about being dead emotionally. He's talking about being dead spiritually. And apart from Christ and the movement of the Holy Spirit, and you're repenting and believing in Jesus, if you have not been made alive in Christ, and you were dead spiritually and you cannot grasp and understand spiritual things. Just put that in the context of anything related to death. Dead people don't even know they're dead on this side, right? They don't know that. When somebody's dead, they're just dead. They can't just decide all of a sudden, hey, I want to go do this thing that's with life. The same with spiritual things. If you're spiritually dead, you're just spiritually dead. And he wants to remind us that you were dead in your trespasses, in your sins. You were dead. Second part of that, he says, look at it with me, verse 13, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. In other words, that you, talking to Gentiles in the church of Colossae, he's saying, you're not Jewish, you weren't following the ways, and if you were, you're still missing the point. In other words, let me put it this way to us. You were unacceptable to God, not circumcised in the flesh. Unacceptable to God, an outsider with no way in. He talks right before that about how you've been circumcised in the heart. Okay, by by circumcision, not by hands. And now he's saying that you were dead in your trespasses, not even circumcised in the flesh, basically saying no matter what you've done, the good deeds you've done are still filthy rags when compared to the perfect righteousness of Christ. And that's to show us that no matter what we do, we can never attain that perfection. The problem is we look at other people. We don't look at our King. We look at others around us. We don't look at God himself who made us in his image to reflect his glory. And so when we fail at that, and we do fail, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means we do not rightly reflect his glory to the world around us and back to him. So when we fail in that way, we have missed the mark. That word sin actually means missed the mark at its most base core level. So when all have sinned, miss the mark and fall short of the glory of God that we have missed the mark. That means even in our good things we do, they're not good enough to rightly reflect his glory in our sinfulness. That apart from his Holy Spirit doing that in us and through us, it still falls short and it piles up as one more sin and one more missing the mark. The good news is, look at verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made Alive together with him. So You were dead, but now you're alive. Right? You were uncircumcised in the flesh. Now you've been circumcised by God's hands. It so says you've been made alive together with Christ. Note this, it's always together with Christ. See the same thing in Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And here he says the same thing. God made alive together with him. Made us alive together with him. That means that our being made alive is to be connected with God, brought into the family, together with him. You're never without him. No matter how much you're without others you love this Christmas season, you're never without Jesus. No matter how much you feel alone from someone not being with you, you're never without God's presence. You never have to be without him again because he's made a way and he's made you alive even when you were dead in your trespasses, even when you were uncircumcised in the flesh or in the heart. He's made you alive in Christ together with him. Always together with him. Now, how has he done that? Because there's a real problem in Scripture with that. He recognize that the greatest problem of the Bible is the fact that God forgives sinners. Do you understand that's, that's a real problem apart from the gospel. A righteous, just, holy, always does what's right God cannot forgive rebels for transgressing his law without there being a good reason for that. If he just forgives, he no longer is just because he is not holding everybody to the standard. And he is, oh, surely just even now. So how do we get around that? He gives us the answer here. Verse 13 at the end. God made alive together us with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The first part of this we see is that he has forgiven us all our trespasses, every single one of our trespasses. Like I said a minute ago, that means everything we've done wrong And everything we've done well that wasn't well enough, every single one of them have been forgiven. It should always be done to perfection, God's glorious perfection. But when we fall short, we need saving from the wrath that we deserve. And he has forgiven us, it says, those sins, those falling short, those missing the mark. He's made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all, every single one of our sins. How did he do that, you ask? I'm glad you asked. Verse 14 tells us, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So there we go again. He's canceling the record of debt. Now, we've talked about this before, but just for sake of remembrance, if someone does a horrible deed... hurts one of your loved ones and then goes to trial for it and the judge on that day just looks at that person and says, yeah, you did this horrible thing to this person that everybody loves, but I'm just going to let you off today. I'm feeling kind of nice about it. You would scream for justice. That's not right. That's not fair. We can't be. So we understand justice at a personal level. God cannot forgive us without there being justice for our sins. But here it says he cancels justice. The record of debt stood against us with its legal demands. That means the accuser can now accuse God of being unjust. The accuser, the enemy, can come against him and say those things apart from him fixing the problem. And this record of our debt is every single sin we've ever committed, ever will commit. This record of our debt is actually, when looked at in the most original way this was written, it's us writing our own IOU to God. Us saying, look, what I've done, I need to repay you for all these things. The problem is, you cannot repay God for the sins you've transgressed against him. And here's the reason. One of the reasons. Every sin we commit is against a holy, infinitely holy, righteous, good God. Every one of those sins is enough to condemn us for all eternity because every one of those sins is transgressing against an infinite, eternal God and his right ways that he created us to live in. So everyone deserves full punishment. And we have that kind of justice here. When somebody goes to jail for murdering more than one person, they go for multiple life sentences sometimes. The same should be for us for every single sin that we transgress against God he says that he's canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this record is every single one the legal demands are the right and legal result that should be placed upon us for every offense against an eternal holy god which means that every one of our little sins are great in the eyes of god and deserve all of god's wrath on us for all of eternity to pay it out and it will never be done being paid because it cannot be done being paid because god's perfection in his law is eternally great, and therefore we will always be paying that off if we don't have Jesus. So now take that and put that in the context of every little one of those pebbles of sin that we see in our life piled up over all the sins you've ever committed, the hundreds and hundreds of thousands and and, and millions of sins, the ones you don't know, the ones that you thought you did well but weren't well enough. In the eyes of the Lord, all those piled up into the mountains of sin that we've accumulated in our life and will continue to accumulate until God comes back for us or until we are taken home. So how could God cancel our record of debt and still remain holy? Galatians 3 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, that's death, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's us, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So how can God cancel our record of debt? It's this good news. Look at verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he did that. This he set aside. That record of debt, he set it aside. Those giant mountains of our sin, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. See, the picture here is what we see in all the movies we've seen, all the images of Christ that we've seen. We're on the cross, above his head was put a plaque that said, King of the Jews, because he was being crucified for saying, basically, in his way, that he was King of the Jews, that's saying that our record of debt has been nailed to the cross of Christ, above Him, but it goes miles and miles long, more paper than you have in your home or in the stores, for every single thing you've ever had, and not just for yours, but for everybody's in this world. All nailed to the cross. Those sins set aside. Our vast record of debts Innumerable sins that become a mountain on our shoulders. Remember when Jesus said that if you had faith even as a mustard seed that you could move mountains, remember that? The smallest of seeds, that much faith? But we do not have enough faith and we'll never have enough faith to move that mountain of debt off of our own shoulders. Paul Bunyan called it the burden. John Bunyan, I mean, called it burden. The burden we carry. And some of us have been carrying that burden, and carrying that burden. And even after we've come to faith, we still pile those things on our shoulders and carry the burden and carry the burden for failing in this and failing in that and for, for sinning in this way and not stepping it up this way and not being good enough in this way. And I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, he has set it aside. He has nailed it to the cross. It's no longer yours. Jesus bought it. And paying for that debt, that IOU that you and I could never pay for. But with full faith and obedience, Jesus has set that mountain of our debt aside. He has enough faith to move that mountain. And he's even removed it, even as far as the east is from the west, our sin has been removed from us. And that is good news brothers and sisters, because God remained just because he sent his one and only son to endure all the wrath that we deserve, all eternity worth of wrath for every single sin, so exponentially infinite amount of wrath for every one of us, compounded by all those who would be saved and all the sins placed upon his shoulder and all the wrath poured out on God that should be poured out on us with full faith and obedience. He's removed it by nailing it to the cross. And enduring it for us on the cross. And just as he was proclaimed, yet undeservedly proclaimed that he was unjust by saying that he was king of the Jews, Jesus' quote, debt, he didn't really have any debt, he really was king of the Jews. Still is, always will be. His debt nailed to the cross. Our fully undeserved, our fully and deserved record of debt that we can never pay was nailed to that cross. And he died on our cross in our place for every single one of our sins bearing the full wrath of God and he paid the price in full with his blood it ran down his side and as it ran down his side it washed away our record of debt it washed away our sins you think that's crazy back in the day with papyrus they would actually scrape it off and blot out what was on it to reuse that papyrus going to make it clean they had no trouble recognizing make could wipe away your debt like that why do we struggle with it? It's an action of belief. Second Corinthians five twenty one says, "For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God." So the one who had no sin became sin for us on the cross and paid our debt in full. So we don't have to pay a dime. We never have to pay anything. We can't pay it and we don't have to pay it. He paid it all for us. That blows my mind that he's worth that much. I cannot wrap my brain around that truth, but it is true. You see the price of our redemption? The one more glorious than all of creation combined. The one who through him, by him, and for him have all things been made. That he poured out his blood on the cross in our place so that we could be brought into his family together with Christ made alive. That is a glorious, infinitely valuable redemption. That's the price of our redemption. The one who should never have been naked on a cross, who should never have been under the wrath of his Father, should never have been condemned, never have been bloodied, never have been tortured, never have been had to die for us, chose to do that because he loved us that much. That is the message of Christmas, brothers and sisters. That is the glorious good news of the Christ, our victor. The third stanza of Horatio Spafford's hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, captures this perfectly. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And have you, have you sung that song recently, and neglected to give all that sin away? Have you tried to hold on to it? Over there, Jesus washed it away on the cross. The moment you sin, if you're in Christ, that's been cleansed from you. You do need to turn to the Lord, repent of that sin, kill the sin, lest it be killing you. Is John Owen said, but it needs to be that you believe that Jesus died and his blood was enough to pay for that sin. This Christmas, let's remember as Paul started this off in verse 13 that we were dead in our sins, nowhere to go, being led by the powers that are in control of this world other than Christ, the elemental spirits of this world, as Ephesians 2 talks about. That We were under that reign, under the slavery of our sin, but because of Christ... We no longer have to worry about that anymore. We've been freed. We've been redeemed. We've been let go of that slavery. We've been made free of that. We have something to rejoice in. And if every day we begin by seeing how dead we were and how unable we are, but we see how great Jesus is, we will speak of him from the rooftops. We will sing of his praise everywhere we go. We'll not be hard to evangelize. We'll just talk great of him as we go. We'll speak of his excellencies. It will not be a burden, it will be a glorious joy for us. And that's when people will see, not because we're perfect. We put on our best things, our best duds, and show up at Christmas events. They're not going to see Jesus in that. They see Jesus in broken people who confess their sin and need for a Savior. And that's when Jesus is made much of. But he doesn't stop there at verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Not only do we see that he has made us alive together with him, forgiving our trespasses, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands, setting it aside, nailing it to the cross, but those powers of the air that we battled against, the real enemy... He has disarmed them. They have no more power because death has been defeated. At the cross, the enemy was rejoicing. Look, God, there's your son displayed for the world. Naked, full of shame. All the people jeering at him and laughing at him. The one who made these people. They thought they had disarmed the son of God in that moment. The enemy thought he was nailed, secured, crucified for the sins of the world, publicly displayed in shame, naked on the cross. The enemy won, he thought. But those nails could not hold him. Death could not defeat him. The cross could never crush him. The eternal weight of our sin could not eternally shame the Savior. Because he paid the price in full. Jesus won the victory that day in our place on the cross. He defeated death. He disarmed the enemy. That's why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. You see that? Sin makes us die. The sting of death is Sin. And the power of sin is the law. God's law is what actually gives power to sin that leads us to death. because The law says you can't. You can never attain it because you are sinful. And so the power of sin is the law. And the sin leads to death. It's the sting of death that puts us down. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory, brothers and sisters. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The baby who became the man who died on the cross to become our savior, to become our victor, our valiant warrior, who fought Satan, sin, death, and hell, and defeated them on the cross in our place. This is the Christmas story. So no matter what your life looks like right now, no matter what trials you are in the midst of, no matter what sufferings you've been enduring your life or this past season or even that are coming tomorrow, no matter what they are, turn your eyes to Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth, both good and bad, will grow strangely dim. because the light that's found in his face is that beautiful and that glorious. This is the Christmas story. Let us not stop at the manger. It is not far enough. And in order to show his beauty in our broken words, in our messed up lives, in our wrong choices, Let us remember how sinful we really are and how much saving we really needed and how much we need that saving every moment of every day and he is so good to continue holding us in his hand by his grace. Then people will see something beautiful. They will yearn for what you have. Not by your morality or by my good efforts or looks, but by the beauty of our Savior Jesus. He's the one that should be lifted. Christ, our victor, our valiant warrior. Hebrews 2.10 says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. You realize Jesus was made even more perfect. It seems impossible, but even more perfect for our saving by his suffering. He goes on, he says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. He says he's not ashamed to call us his brothers. That shame is gone, he paid for it on the cross. It's good news. And again, he says, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God has given me since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. There's no more slavery, no more fear. Be wise, be gentle, do right things. But fear not brothers and sisters because we have a savior who paid the price for us. He has secured our victory on the cross. And death has no sting. Sin has lost its power. The law stands. But our Savior fulfilled it. We have nothing else left to do but love Him back because He first loved us, even to the point of death on the cross. Amen and amen. Glory be to God. Martin Luther, one of my favorite reformers, who took a wayward church, it became the match that lit the fire that swept across Europe to bring people back to Jesus. 500 years ago, before Jesus, he was already a monk and he was struggling. He was struggling because he was being tormented, he believed, by the devil himself. It may be so since he was such a powerful movement God used to light the world on fire for Jesus. But he was tormented by all his sins and by all his inabilities to live perfectly. When he finally came to faith one day, He later on recounted about this passage of Scripture. He said, this victory of the Savior means that he takes away the law. He kills my sin, destroys my death in his body. And in this way, he empties hell. In other words, he sets the captives free. That's us. He empties hell. He judges the devil, crucifies him, and throws him down into hell. In other words, everything that once used to torment and oppress me, he says, Christ has set aside. He has disarmed it and made a public example of it, triumphing over it in himself. So let us, like Luther, recognize that there is no more tormenting. Let us not revel in our brokenness other than to point to Jesus. Let us turn our sinfulness over to the Lord. He's already paid for it on the cross. Let us forget it now and remember it no more. He's already wiped it away in his blood shed on the cross. Let us make much of the Savior who gave everything for us so that we could be with him forever and be having our sin and our cancel, our debt, wipe it away for good forever and ever. Let that Be the Christmas story we give this year to the glory of God the Father through the Son and by the Spirit. For the Son's name is worthy. That the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord, that He is God, that He is glorious, that He is beautiful, that He is worthy, that He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Always has been, always will be. And on the cross, even though the enemy tried to shame him, he defeated shame. Even though the enemy tried to murder him, he defeated death. Even though our sin tried to crush him, he overcame our sin and now resides at the right hand of the Father until he brings us home. Remember this, brothers and sisters, our Advent season, our Christmas season begins with the sun coming and it ends with the sun coming back. And one day he's coming. He's coming to take us home, and we will glory in His presence and enjoy Him and revel in Him. Let us take as many with us as we can. For when we leave this place, if we remember how sinful we are, if we are seeing how much we need a Savior, even now, we will speak highly of Him at the gas station as we fill our car. We'll speak highly of Him as we go to the grocery store to get those last things before Christmas morning. We'll speak highly of Him as they drop off our stuff on the porch. Even if we stand six or 12 feet away, we can still give the gospel to them. Let us be messengers of reconciliation, for that is who Jesus has been and will always be for us to his glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. But oh, how we need you now, Lord. Father, how we need you. We ask you to work in our hearts, to break down the sinful walls that have been erected by our hearts trying to earn our own way, even though we believe the gospel, for we believe not enough. Lord, help our unbelief. Lord, we need you to overcome these sins, to overcome our debt that we continue to rack up, and you've already done it for us in Jesus. Help us to rely on Jesus and Jesus alone. Help us to revel in and enjoy your son so that we might speak of him everywhere we go, rightly for your glorious praise. And Lord, if there is some here who does not know you yet, may you bring them to repentance now. Lord, you tell us in Ezekiel, That you are the one, that you are the one who sprinkles clean water on us, so we shall be clean. You give us a new heart and a new spirit you put within us. You remove the heart of stone from our flesh and give us a heart of flesh. And that you will put your spirit within us and cause us to walk in your statutes and be careful to obey your rules. So Lord, I ask now that you would press your gracious kind spirit upon anyone who's hearing this now or in the future who would need your son Jesus to save them and that they would repent of their sin and believe on Jesus as Lord and as brother and see you as their heavenly father and be ushered into the kingdom. Lord, he alone is our only hope. And Jesus alone is the hope of the nations and of our families and of our friends of our brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and sons and daughters and grandparents. Give us the boldness to speak of his glorious grandeur and majesty this Christmas. Not only the manger, but also the cross as Christ our victor. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from Troll Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.